0: Hello, and welcome to Be My Mentor, a real estate podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you with all things real estate. You see, when I first got my real estate license, I knew there was a lot to learn, and the best way I knew to learn was to ask a lot of questions. In every episode, we have conversations with professionals that are in the field every day, from home inspectors, agents, mortgage lenders, and even photographers. So whether you're a future home buyer, homeowner, or a real estate agent, you're going to walk away with something practical and actionable. I can't wait to learn with you on this journey. Welcome to this week's episode with Kristen Penner from the Kristen Penner Mortgage Team, based out of North Palm Beach, Florida. Kristen has been in the real estate mortgage industry for more than 20 years, and graduated from the University of Florida with a finance and real estate degree. Whether you're a real estate agent or a home buyer, this episode has some really great nuggets of information that will help you in your real estate transactions. We talk about the pre-approval process, what to do if you own your own business and want to get approved, and even a really great way you can make your offers look more attractive to the seller. Whether you're new to real estate or not, there's something for everyone in this episode. So let's dive right in and welcome Christian Petter.
1: Okay, so since this pandemic hit, you know, the, the general public kind of didn't got into what they call got into a forbearance on their mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the people don't understand what that is. Right. That's a. I mean, I've talked probably 80 people out of forbearance because they don't really understand what it was. They just go to their website, you know, Wells Fargo servicers, they go to the servicing website, pay their bill or check it out. And they say, hey, push here to call, you know, to go into forbearance.
2: To make it so easy.
1: To make it too easy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's no qualification for it you press a button and you can skip your payments for three months. Well, why not? Great. Well, I'll, you know, why that's great. But some people are working and they skip their payment for three months and guess what a month four, you got to make four payments all at once. Oh, well no one told me that. Well, what do you think that, how do you think that was going to play out? Oh, they were just going to put it on the back. Well, did you have a conversation with somebody about that? Well, no, they just, Push a button, you know, push, push a button, get a mortgage, right? It's the same bullshit. Push a button, get forbearance. That's basically what they were doing. And, uh, and so, but the problem was, is they don't really know what they can do. So think about it. There's, you know, now there's almost 5 million people in forbearance, right? Mm -hmm. So the servicers are not set up to accommodate, you know, that many people. So if these people don't make their payment, then, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, you know, a moratorium on foreclosures up until next year. I think it's April or something, mm-hmm. so these people can never get caught up. Guess what's going to happen next year? They're going to start foreclosure proceedings on the people that have not caught up.
2: So we're just delaying the
1: inevitable, we're, right? Now. Right now, well, they're going to give the them a chance are, right? to catch up. Mm-hmm. But if they don't, then and the problem, the other problem is, is all the appreciation these people have had on their homes. They're right? going to lose it. They're going to lose it and it's lose it because they don't understand what they're got themselves into. And you know, so if you live in your house 5 years, you've had a, a 27% increase in value, mm-hmm. right? So for every 100,000 dollars worth of home, you know, 27,000 a year of appreciation. You know, so so think about that you know, you've been in your home three years, what is that, 27, you know, thir- it's almost $60,000 of appreciation on a $300,000 home, which is kind of the average here, right? Mm-hmm. That evaporates, goes away. The, and then because they foreclose and you can't make your payment, and you can't get a loan out.
2: Is that because of fair forbearance or is that because they get foreclosed on? Like what, well, no, what triggers so that loss of depreciation?
1: Well, because they can never get caught up and they think that they're going to try to modify their loan and get the payments on the back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But based on you know the Dodd Frank, what the what they put in the play after the financial crisis was, you have to qualify. But if you're not working, how do you qualify for a modification on your loan? Basically, it's a refinance. You don't. You can't. So now you're stuck, and you don't have the money to make up the payments, So then, you know, so then you're in this bad situation, and now your credit start getting dinged because that, you know, now you're late rolling, late, late, late. So your credit score drops, drops, drops. And now you can't get a refinance. You can't get a loan, can't get anything. And so you, the inevitable is gonna happen. You're gonna lose your house, which is gonna be unfortunate for the people because they don't really know.
2: They the, just pressed a button and they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't
1: know what they were doing. They didn't read the documents. They just, you know, we're in a pandemic. Everyone's kind of- Freaking out. Freaking out and looking for ways to band-aid themselves for whatever reason that is sometimes people have the money to pay it you know um out of the you know 80 plus people i talked out of forbearance they all had the money to pay it they just thought why not take advantage of it Mm -hmm. but when you sit down and think about it of what that situation really means um then you kind of when i had those conversations with people then they're like oh i get it you know like maybe your credit card payment you know was 30 40 bucks a month that's different right Put that in four bands, but you're talking about your house. So what ha- what what happened was the the payments get deferred, but the taxes and insurance don't. So no one. So the servicer has to write checks to the investor for the for the mortgage payments. So they're having to write checks on behalf of the borrower when they're not making the payments. They still have to pay because it's a it's a secured instrument. Mm-hmm. It's a mortgage-backed security. so they've got to make those payments on behalf of the borrowers to so the servicer. The borrowers still
2: having to pay the interest in
1: the well, they're not paying it. And not. But it's but it, but they owe the money to the servicer. Right. So now the servicer, they don't have the money to pay five million dollars worth of loans. So now they're hemorrhaging cash. So they have to get they had to get money. The big servicers almost went out of business two months ago because they were hemorrhaging so much cash because no one was making payments, and they have to write the checks on behalf of the borrower hoping to get reimbursed. When they don't get reimbursed, they've got to get the money somehow and the only way to get it is foreclose, you know. so Get the money
2: back out of the house.
1: Well, because they, now their asset is, now they have to go to, you know, they're going to a, they have to take it out of their normal servicing portfolio and go to a, you know, a collection service.
2: That makes me feel great because (laughs) we, like we, I applied for forbearance. I'm like, hey, let's just do it. Right. Like see see what's up with that and but once we got the the papers in the mail that we had to sign I'm looking at it and I'm there's so little information in there about what they were going to do it's like this could trigger these three different things but we don't know what those three things are right it could be that you know it could be that we have to refinance your entire or re modify remodify your entire mortgage it could mean that it's all due up front I'm like that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, and I freaked out a little bit because they already stopped our automatic payments and right. everything. And oh, I was wow. like, so I, I go online, I'm like, we're paying this. And then I call them, I'm like, make sure we cancel this. I want this canceled. And so then right. they gotta cancel and I'm like, I feel much better. My, my auto pay is back going,
1: right. going back on and everything. A lot of times the, the, the servicer wasn't taking, wasn't allowing the person to make the payments, you know. It's, well, it uh, seems like the
2: servicers kind of rushed all this out too, right? Yeah. You know that's why there's so little
1: well because the government it. basically said do it mm-hmm. you know so they had to you know they had to you know adhere to what the public was thinking they needed right because they made it so easy you know um, but it also you know it, it, another part of that too is if you, if you miss your payments you have to catch it up and you have to wait three months before you can even refinance the, under the whatever that new payment plan is Mm-hmm. So you're ineligible to refinance your property for, you know, three months after you've not made, after you've skipped at least one month of a payment in a forbearance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a problem with a lot of people. I had people in my pipeline looking to refinance, and they were they were going into forbearance, and were like, well, wait, you can't do that. Or people that were selling their home and buying another and going into forbearance on the home they're selling. You're like, wait, wait, <laughs> wait a Especially minute. Especially if you want
2: to go buy a house or, yeah. right. And
1: we just can't. don't know how, it could, how it'll how affect their credit you know there's a blank spot on there how is it going to how is the servicer going to report that what are they going to say you know pandemic you know a zero like blank how does that affect your credit score when there's no payment there i don't think you know the, the credit bureaus have that built into their poor forma of you know of how to generate credit scores that there's there's blank payments there you know how what is that going to do your credit score I, I don't know yet we don't know until it plays out
2: right that's so wow that's so interesting
1: yeah
2: and we probably won't know for another some
1: of the people that haven't made their payments in june are just showing up not even showing up yet like may because they're about two months behind Mm -hmm. in reporting so in some cases they may not show up for at least 60 days so you know maybe august you'll see people that didn't make their payments in june it'll finally show in their credit bureau so we'll find out how is your credit how is your score going to be affected what's going to happen there I you feel know. like
2: that's going to blow up
1: somehow, I, I, like politically, I
2: something's going to happen where <clears throat> a lot of people are going to be really upset because they didn't understand what they were getting into.
1: Right. Yeah. And wow. they're, they're talking about it now. I mean, it's coming out now because, you know, you got a lot of the news channels talking about just do it, you know, just, you know, just, just do it if you, you know, and now they're, now they're kind of st- taking the steps back and make sure you understand what you got yourself into
2: hmm
1: you know, um, because now the, the consumers actually are bere- have time to breathe and, and consume what they drastically went into. Now they're in a position where they're like reading the documents finally or understanding it and looking into it and reading more about it and realizing, wait a minute, this isn't really the right situation for me. And I shouldn't have done it, or I gotta you know I gotta fix it and you know, because you're gonna take your money. A lot of people that weren't working, they were getting, you know, 600 bucks a week. I mean, that's, you know, I get it. Those people that weren't working, they, you know, it was a good relief for them. But, you know, the people that were or had savings, listen, don't, don't not make your mortgage payment. If anything, especially if you're risking, and you've been in your house five years and you're risking 27% appreciation, you know, think about it. I don't think anyone understands that. Right, and that's the biggest piece right there. That's is huge. people and it's going to create a, um, a market, you know, around that, you know, like we had a financial crisis before that was created due to financial crisis. This is a pandemic created based on forbearance. We're going to have a whole possible, you know, REO market created around the forbearance pandemic situation.
2: What do you, you think know? the time frame is when we start seeing the ripple effects? of like? <clears throat> I would say
1: probably around this time next year. Yeah. yeah, about a year from now, we'll see. Um, you know, because they're going to have to file their foreclosures and they're going to have to, you know, go through the system. Because, you know, right now the courts are basically closed. Mm-hmm. So all these lawsuits and stuff will start being filed immediately and they're going to be a backlog. So there's going to be a time delay. And, you know, these people are going to be in a situation where they just, it's just going to be a matter just of trying time.
2: to save their home and live in right. there till
1: it gets foreclosed because they can't get a loan, their credit's shot. They can't refinance, they can't pull any equity out. So it's just, you know, matter, it's just a matter of time. It's You know, yeah. So tell me how, yeah.
2: tell me a little bit about your story. How long have you been in this, why, why are you in it?
1: So um, I've been in the mortgage real estate world probably, I mean, for a little over 21 years. Uh, I graduated from the University of Florida with a finance and real estate degree and a minor in economics. So um, I got out of, you know, as soon as I got out of college, um, I got, um, I was able to get a real estate license and a mortgage license. um, And I've had them, you know, for for basically that amount of time. Um, So I've been in this this world. I grew up in North Palm Beach, Palm Beach Gardens, you know. um, And so I went to college, UF, and then kind of came home. And i um, been kind of in that space. I've done mortgages um, for a few different companies and banks over the years. And, um, you know, right now I, I kind of, you know, we're in a place where we can, you know, we're a direct lender as well as a broker. So we can uh, basically any type of loan out there. We, we have. have access to private lending, you know, that non QM market starting to come back where we can do, you know, like, you know bank statement loans for self-employed people, um, that service type loans. Um, you know, so, you know, I'm, I'm, married. I have, uh, two children, a son and a daughter. Currently right now they are 11 and nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so, you know, just kind of been in this, in this market, in this area for, you know, 21 years working, you know, mm-hmm. before I, you know, it's just, Kind of. So here. You, know area, you know the area really well. Pretty well, yeah.
2: Yeah, I've been here. I've I've only been in Jupiter for two years now. We bought we bought our condo um, a couple years ago.
1: Okay. It's, Where are you from?
2: Um, I'm from Colorado. Okay. Uh, like originally. So my wife's from Alaska. I'm from Colorado. Oh, wow. We met down here, uh, got married. We have a, we have one kid. Okay. And um, yeah, just. I, and I, I just got my real estate license. So that's one reason I'm doing this is I'm just like learning all of this stuff and just some of the stuff you're saying, I'm like, I've never heard of that term. I don't even know. Like, <laughs> what, is, what is a whatever blanket state mortgage loan, blah, blah. I don't know. <laughs> right. So that's like why I'm here to learn because as someone who, I've already got one or two buyers, you know, just sort of interested, wanting to know. So like me going into that, I'm like, okay, I want to know I wanna be able to talk from a, a place of knowledge and be able to know what I'm talking about. Obviously I'm not a lender, so I'm not gonna know everything, but to be able to guide them into the right direction. Sure. Um, so I guess the most basic things, um, so I've got a buyer, first time home homeowner. What are sort of the, the top things that I need to communicate to him about the loan process and about him getting a loan?
1: <clears throat> so what I would do given um, your situation if you want to learn more, know more, mm-hmm. you know, like I would say, connect with somebody like me, don't necessarily you provide them with the information, but have them talk directly with me and let okay. me share with you the information as we go along. Cause every buyer, every situation is different. It really is, mm. you know, and we're, um, you know, we have guidelines and kind of, you know, a, a common structure in most cases, but there's always going to be different types of scenarios It's crazy. Almost every deal has got its own characteristics and, and good and bad and, and things like that. So, um, so for a first time home buyer, the first thing we like to do is start with them as early as possible in the process. Um, look at their credit, um, look at their savings, look at their job situation, understand what, you know, what that is, what they've saved, understand kind of where we need to be financially for whatever home they desire. You know, so maybe if it's not today maybe it's three months six months a year um, maybe they you know maybe they need to build credit maybe they need to fix some bad credit from you know you know when maybe when they were younger or or something like that and they missed payments so we have ways of you know fixing credit building credit helping them with the credit side as well as is showing them um, you know what they how they need to save correctly um, to buy the home and what they need to do once they buy the home so You know we not only help them before they buy and then during but even after we're gonna be a partner with them long term Mm -hmm. you know um, hopefully through every transaction they go through um, you know we have partnerships with you know uh, uh, people like CPAs financial planners and stuff that we rely on if they don't have them to help us help them put them in the right financial situation to buy stay in their home and also um, create wealth for them down Mm -hmm. the road so we, we partner up with, with some people that kind of help these people, you know, because they don't know, right? It's just like you, you just started. Right. You don't really know. A first time home buyer definitely doesn't know. You know, they're yeah. not even in our market and it's hard to even understand what goes on even when you're in it, <laughs> you know, so.
2: So when we got our house, we were first time home buyers. We got a condo, so much we didn't know. And like, I I feel like I'm a person who does a lot of research and, you sure. know, I do the Google thing. and even then, like going into it, I mean, I, you know, when you go to the the closing table, I mean, the the, the stack <laughs> right. is this thick of what right. you're signing, and I know I, I remember one one part of the process was obviously we were looking to get an FHA loan mm-hmm. to begin with, but I think we ended up going with a conventional, like a five percent down conventional or something okay. like. Could you sort of explain the difference between those two and the the benefits or
1: yeah, so. FHA loan, three and a half percent down, um, the least amount down. Um, well, not not necessarily. So FHA is three and a half percent down, so their qualification parameters are a little bit easier than a conventional. Mm-hmm. So if you have a lower credit score, um, you know, or, or higher debt to income ratio, FHA is a better loan. Um, most recently, you know, we we have conventional loans that we can do with three percent down. Um, So we kind of look at both with a first-time home buyer and figure out what is the best situation for them. In some cases, we can't get a conventional loan approved, so we go FHA. In some cases, it's vice versa. So we look at all those options, and that's what I'm saying. The sooner we start in that process, Mm -hmm. the more we'll be able to help that consumer get into the right loan for them, whether um, whether it's FHA or conventional. And you know, FHA comes with some higher costs. It comes with an upfront FHA funding fee Mm. um, and it's mortgage insurance. You know, um, right now it's mortgage insurance kind of for life of the loan. Um, Whereas conventional, you know, 3% down, there's no upfront funding fee and there is mortgage insurance, but it, you know, it falls off at a certain point in time. Mm. Um, You know, most people don't ever play out their mortgage to when that ever falls off. Most people, like, once they build up the e- enough equity in five years, you figure you've got almost 30% equity in your home. You could refinance and be at a, at a 20, you know, an 80% loan to value and get rid of that PMI. Mm-hmm. You know, given if interest rates, you know, stay low and, and they, you know, and your interest rate was higher, even if it was the same, dropping the PMI because you've created so much equity in the home will drop your payment because you're getting rid of that MI mm-hmm. payment.
2: Um, could you explain a couple of things? I know these are super basic, but and I, I I think I have a general understanding of them. But just to help anyone who's like never bought a house before, could you explain two things: debt to come, debt to income ratio, and PMI?
1: So the debt to income ratio is there's two. Um, there's is what they call a front end ratio and a back end ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, the front end ratio is your gross income. Okay, if you're an employed person. W2 employee, it's gross income. If you're self-employed, it's net income. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so that the front end ratio is that income compared to the housing expense. So whatever that housing expense is compared to your income, that's basically what they call the front end ratio. The back end ratio is your income compared to the housing expense and all of your debts combined.
2: Like car debt,
1: anything else? Credit card debt, whatever that is. So. There's, you know, there's different parameters for an FHA loan and a conventional loan. Um, so FHA allows us in some cases on the back end ratio to go as high as maybe like a 57% back end ratio, um, whereas conventionally you're maxed out at just under 50. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a little bit more buying power. Um, there are some more costs associated with it, so we got. That's why we got to look at it and understand See what if it that makes is. Sense for you. Right. Um, yeah, see see which one is is the best solution, um, and those how the ratios work. And then your second question was PMI. So PMI is, you know, you have to the servicer has to get insurance on they insure the loan any amount of the loan over eighty percent loan to value requires private mortgage insurance to insure the loan in case of default. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. It's in case of default, and that's that's what the mortgage insurance. So if you're is.
2: not able to put twenty percent down.
1: Right, PMI. so you need okay. PMI. You need PMI to ensure that, you know, you're gonna, you know, um, that that loan's gonna basically be, um, you know, be, be paid, insured, right. in case someone stops making the payments. Got it, Does that got make it. sense? So the, right, right, so <laughs> yeah. the,
2: the person giving, the the company giving the loan is covered, right? right. From the insurance company,
1: that right. makes sense. Yep. So they bridge that gap there, you okay. know? So, because there are a mortgage, you know, they're securitized in most cases, Fannie, Freddie, Jenny Mae, mm-hmm. up to that, up to those levels, you know. Can you
2: explain uh, the difference between Fannie Mae and Freddie, I do not even have that? Like Freddie I took Mac, the yeah. test right. and I had to answer questions about this, but now like, I forgot them all.
1: <laughs> so Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are similar. Um, they're mortgage-backed security um, investors. Fannie Mae's bigger than Freddie Mac. Um, most people kind of go, go that avenue, but they have guidelines with each. So depending on the consumer's situation, um, mm-hmm. we, we run them both ways. And we figure out you know if it doesn't work one way, we kind of look at the other way because maybe someone has a lower credit score and higher assets, sometimes Freddie Mac kind of looks at, looks at higher assets better and mae looks at things differently. So there are some differences between them um, based on the profile of the consumer. And um, and so that those are those two, and then there's Jenny May, which is the government-backed um, uh, you know investor for FHA, VA, USDA loans. Okay. Um, so mo- mainly they're FHA, you know, um, for the first-time home buyers and stuff. So they a, they are the investor for the um, FHA, VA, um, USDA, and they insure the loans themselves. Right? So So. you're
2: you're servicing the loan, but they insure the loan.
1: Correct. Okay. Right. So a servicer would be someone that you would just write your mortgage payment to that covers, Mm. you know, handles that. But then they're taking that money and giving it to the investor, which is Fannie Freddie or Mm. Jenny May.
2: I, I realize how complicated, you know, I think most people think when they approach someone who does mortgages, they're the one who gives out the loan and you're dealing with that person for the next 30 years but that's not the case right
1: well so we we try to position ourselves in the consumer's eyes that we are their contact right that you are that person we are that person okay. even though their loan is going to be serviced by somebody else and maybe serviced by multiple people over the many years right mm-hmm. so two things happen we originate the loan it gets it gets you know um insured by one of the um, aggregators and then that and then there's a servicer that picks up that loan so there's a servicer that comes in and services the payments of the loan okay so that is making the payments to a servicer who may own the loan forever or they may sell it and maybe multiple types of servicers out there to do that um, and then there's the, the ultimate investor that owns the loan so so there's like
2: three uh, or four different tiers of well
1: there's well you know there's well, people involved Right. So once the loan is sold or, or closed, it gets sold um, to the investor, and then the servicing goes to a, a third party servicer, and that consumer is interacting with that servicer for the just the payments. Um, the
2: servicer literally just manages the payment back and forth.
1: Payment to the investor. back and forth to for the okay. investor. That's it. And, Got it. You know. So we, you know, no matter who the servicer is, we are always we are always their contact. Um, to for all of their lending needs you know mm-hmm. we can most cases you know servicers will, will service a loan they may not always be the best person to work with on getting a new loan with or refinancing so, you know some something like you know for for instance you know some of the bigger ones like quicken you know they you know they, they service a lot of loans and they originate a lot of loans because of the servicing um right they're a
2: marketing company right,
1: right. yeah
2: got it yeah. I, and i know the people we got our mortgage through um you know, a couple months later, got a, got a piece of mail that said, oh, your your loan has been moved or serviced by this person. And, you know, we right. don't really hear back from them ever again. Right. Um, and, yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's, I kind of wanted to get that clear in my mind because I know there was, you know, many people involved, but I, it sounds like different people Ooh. who sell the loans, They're they everyone manages things a little bit differently in how right. they approach their business. Sure. And it would be to your benefit to stay in con- con- contact with those people because they're going to they're gonna to upgrade to their next home, they're gonna get right.
1: another home, right? Right, I mean, so we do annual reviews um, every year with our clients to kind of look at their situation and figure out, you know, what's changing their life. Maybe, like like you're saying, you know, they've had a child or, or you know, and then they maybe they have another one the following year. So they're in a place now where they need something bigger. So yes, in mm-hmm. a couple of years from their first home, maybe in two or three years later, they're already thinking of moving and upgrading. Um, and then we analyze that and say, okay, you know, is it something you want to keep that house that you originally bought turn into an investment or you want to sell it and buy what you want? So we evaluate, help them evaluate those things as they move through the process. So we always want to be a partner with them, mm-hmm. um, hopefully throughout their whole life. Um, and they you know, and not just for the real estate mortgage part of it, but, you know, helping them by partnering them up with the right people to m- help them, you know, grow wealth. In their life, and make sure that they're, you know, what they're doing is the right situation for them at all times. So we try to stay in contact with them. We we talk to them, you know, um, at, at least quarterly, if not more. Um, we communicate with them a lot of different things. Um, we help them kind of understand kind of all the stuff that's going on in their house. Um, we try to let them know when it's time to do things. Like how many times you, you know you're, you're in a condo, but in the home. I even sometimes forget, you know, golly, you got to change your air filters or you got to service your AC unit, clean it out. You know, a lot of people, the AC unit backs up and they got guck in there and it floods their, you know, their ceiling mm. or something and they don't realize when to do that and stuff. So we're trying to help them be proactive and with the maintenance on their home um, and communicate with them some tips throughout the right, year, right. you know, and try to be a partner with them.
2: Uh, that's, that's, that's great. I had a question about interest rates and loans so is it true like so one of the buyers i'm looking for he's already he's like he's a go-getter he's got everything like i don't know color-coded in his folder (laughs) about all his paychecks and everything he's like ready to go
1: fantastic
2: and so he's he's like and he's like even way ahead of me he's just like he's already talked to like three different lenders and blah 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 so and he has found a lender that will give him an interest rate that that he likes what is there, is there just sort of like a standard interest rate that no matter what lender you go to, that's probably what you're gonna get based on your profile? Or is there actually a big difference between different companies that you work with?
1: Well, yes, there's, there's a difference, but you gotta keep in mind, you know, interest rates change daily, if not many times throughout the day. So interest rates, an interest rate today could be totally different tomorrow based on what's going on in the economy or, you know, because th- think about it like this, more the interest rates are driven by mortgage-backed securities. Mm-hmm. Okay, and mortgage-backed securities is kind of like, think of it as a stock or a bond, right? So it moves based on buy and sell. So right now, interest rates are very low because the government, the Fed, is buying so many, so much mortgage-backed securities to keep interest rates low. They're, they're the biggest buyer of, of these. They're, they're issuing them and they're buying them, right? So um so they're keeping interest rates low now what the factors that come into play with interest rates are many things that come into factors There's what they call loan level price adjustments on every single loan so based on your loan to value your credit score um debt to income ratios all that stuff kind of comes into play to figure out what is your interest rate and set, because it changes every day and sometimes many times throughout the day an interest rate I quoted somebody yesterday could be totally different today. I was talking with a past client of mine, and we were, you know, we had talked on uh, Friday, and I gave her an interest rate with some certain terms associated with it. And yesterday they were completely different. You know, um, they were much lower costs for her where they were Friday because her interest rates kind of came down a little bit this week. So, you know, um, and and trying to communicate that to her for somebody I didn't understand and. You know she was happy for it, but really didn't understand why you know um, and in, in some cases it goes the other way mm-hmm. I tell somebody hey, I can give you this rate today you know or last Friday and today I call them and say hey you know that same rate I was giving you is actually costing like a point today or it's a quarter point higher they're like they, they're confused and I'm like well you know that's just because the movements of the market mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it's driven by you know, economic factors, reports that come out. Like yesterday, we have housing reports that came out. Most of it's driven by um, unemployment numbers, or they have been in the past driven by unemployment numbers. Um, right now, we're in a crazy environment, which has created a whole lot of unemployment numbers, and it hasn't really, it hasn't really triggered interest rates like it normally would. Um,
2: because the government's putting like a stopgap gap and help,
1: yeah. Yeah, they're just, they're funding, they're buying so many of them, they're trying to keep interest rates low. Our prediction is that interest rates will probably be lower next year than they are right now. Would that come true? I don't know. Um, that would be really interesting to see. Um, but, um, but you know, when, when we're talking to people today and they're like, oh, I'm gonna wait for interest rates to go down, I'm gonna wait for housing prices to go down, thinking that's gonna happen. You can't have
2: both, probably. Well, I mean- You might be w- able to. Right,
1: I mean, currently today we're in a great market. You know, some markets are suffering pretty bad because of where they are- you know, Located. Located. Um, you know, uh, like big cities and condo-driven cities, like, you know, the tri-state area up north. A lot of people want to get out of there, right? Because they've been stuck for so many months. They're coming down here. They want space. They want a house. They want to breathe. Um, so our markets in South Florida and Florida in general are just booming. But in some other places, they're they're going. It's opposite. So it's going to be a.
2: So what? At what point for a buyer? You know, if if interest <clears throat> rates are changing all the time, does yeah. does like a pre approval letter does that lock them in at a rate, or no. <clears throat> at what point can they know what their rate's going to be? So
1: the way we structure it is, you know, we can give you a pre-approval letter. We can give you a, um, you know, a, a payment. Really wh- what it is is um, we actually have an app that we work with our real estate partners and borrowers on. So when we approve that person, um, it's a combination of things. It's not always the purchase price because everyone was like, well, how much do I get approved for it? It really is the payment associated with that purchase price that drives that, that complete situation because that's how the debt to income ratios are derived. So there's a front-end ratio and a back-end ratio that you have to be, um, have to be in line with. So it could, it's a combina- combination of maybe somebody has one property without an HOA fee and they can get a higher purchase price, but when they're throwing the HOA fee, it lowers the purchase price down because their buying power changes. Mm-hmm. So we have an app, we load all this stuff in there with a maximum payment and so you, on the fly, as an agent, you're working with somebody and you know talking with them on Saturday, and you're looking at three or four different houses, and you're plugging in, you know, because you know what the taxes are. You know, we're kind of estimating what the insurance is, um, and you know if there's an HOA fee or not. You plug that information in, and it basically gives you a green light if it works. So literally, as an agent. And your borrower simultaneously together can figure out what does it does this payment work for this bar, and they push a button and they get a pre-approval letter sent to them instantly from us. So no matter you know 24 hours a day, it's it's available. So we have customers that log into into the app app and you know run numbers on you know themselves at all times of the day. Right. Um, and it's pretty cool because I mean, every, do
2: most buyers care about the interest rate? I mean, I, I yeah, say that. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean. Everyone I mean, it wants seems a lower payment, they do, right? But
2: as a first-time home buyer, I'm just like, just get me in the
0: house,
1: so, right? 100. Yeah. percent. So, yes, our goal is to take all those factors into play, give them the best terms we can get them to get them into the house, to get them the most buying power that they they can get. So, we always kind of try to give our clients the best rates we can, and or the best loan product. Sometimes, interest rates you know change based on the loan product, but. You know maybe they don't qualify for a normal conventional loan and they've got to go to a bank statement loan because they're self-employed and maybe they don't claim all that income explain but got to business.
2: a bank statement loan i haven't so,
1: heard of that before so a self-employed borrower uh, we have so many of them here in south florida mm-hmm. you know so many small businesses and stuff so um for a borrower that say say they you know they they have a, a company well most Accountants and CPAs, their goal is to minimize your your taxes, right? That you pay the government. And if you're a self-employed borrower, you get a lot of breaks, a lot of opportunity to do that. The problem is, is as a self-employed borrower, as I mentioned before, for your debt-to-income ratios to work, we go off of the net number. Mm-hmm. So after your so if your gross income, say it's you know a million dollars, and you write off nine hundred thousand dollars of expenses and this and that only made a hundred you only made a hundred and that's the number we use to qualify you so guys have a business i'm making my business makes a million bucks i can buy a million dollar home but you only show a hundred thousand dollars that doesn't you don't qualify Mm -hmm. so but if if that same business isn't playing he's getting you know he has you know what is that eighty thousand dollars a month or so of income coming into his business account income right we can use that number to qualify him for that house. And I've done, mm. I've, I've helped people buy a couple million dollar homes that have good, great businesses, a lot of business income um, coming in, but they don't have, they don't show it all on their personal tax returns. So um, it's designed for the self-employed borrower that has a good business, but takes advantage of the, you know, uh, mm. the, the write-offs that they can get. That makes sense. As yeah. someone
2: who owns my own business, I'm always looking for creative ways to
1: so it's funny. I do this. You know. I do this all the time with other self-employed borrowers. Is we have a, I have a system. We do a mortgage comparison on every loan that we do. So we compare for that client. You know, like we were talking earlier, conventional and FHA. You know, five You can plug all the numbers. in. But you plug it in, and it tells and them, you see the difference, right? it tells them, okay, what are the payments? What's the best loan for you over a period of time? Five years, ten years, you know, fifteen years. What loan is going to perform the best? for you based on the 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 characters of that loan the 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 characteristics of that particular loan and uh, so what we look at too is as i say so a lot of people say well i'm self-employed so this guy making say a million dollars in his business i'll just pay myself more you know the qualifier of the house who's going to pay himself a quarter of a million dollars instead of a hundred thousand dollars right well guess what you've just created a a tax liability for yourself for that other you know 150 Thousand dollars, so right, so
2: the IRS looks at it,
1: and they're like, What's "Well, up with no, this? you're claiming." So on a hundred thousand dollars, let's just use, let's just say you're in tax bracket. Let's just say thirty mm-hmm. percent. So it costs you thirty thousand dollars, right, for every hundred thousand dollars you claim. Mm. Okay, so if you decide I'm going to claim, you know, two fifty this year to qualify for that house, well, now you just created another what is that forty five thousand dollars of tax liability for yourself, right? Mm. So what we do is we say, okay. That's what, you, that's what it's gonna cost you to claim that money. But if you do a business bank statement loan, right? So the current interest rates, let's say it's 3%. And the business bank statement loan, say it's 4.5% or 5%, let's just say 5 So it's a two point variation between the two loans. And you kind of do the math on it. So it's gonna cost you, let's say $10,000 more a year in interest, okay, between those two loans. Um, which, which is fine, or you know, you're gonna pay $45,000 in taxes. So you gotta have that average for two years. So 45 times two, what is that? You know, so that's um, $90,000 in two years that you'd have to claim, because we average it out for a self-employed person, to, um, as, as opposed to it costing you $10,000 more per year. So it would take you okay. that much longer to, you know, nine years, of that tax, but you're also getting write-offs, but let's just keep it simple. So it will take you nine years to kind of break even, but wouldn't you rather, and you get that deduction, would you rather keep your money working for you mm-hmm. and not just give it to the IRS or just and, just and pay?
2: And at least it's going into your
1: home, right, or whatever, your property, right? and just pay right? $10,000 more in interest. Um, over the year, it, it just always, always, always makes more sense for a self-employed borrower if they're if they're if they're writing stuff off today and not changing their their situation that's good
2: for me to know in the future when we bought our home i was self-employed but i also had a couple of w2 things going on and i remember my wife was working too and the mortgager was just like look we're not even going to touch your business we're just going to go off of your wife and off of these other w2s and they got it through and they got it done exactly
1: we we did that too depending on the situation for that person um, so that's the same. We just evaluate it all, and look at it, and see.
2: Could you explain the difference between? Because I've heard this going around the difference between a pre-qualification and a pre-approval, and the significance of that. Well, or if there's no right. Case. So
1: a pre-qualification is, is just a conversation we have on uh, for the borrower. We don't ever really do pre-qualifications because it's not really anything. Um, it's more or less somebody just kind of running numbers for you. Um, Pre-approval based on your word of mouth. What yeah, right. And, and and the pre-qualification isn't isn't really a, a, a any anything that you would as an agent give to somebody to write a contract with. Pre-approval is we've ran your credit, we've looked at your income, we've analyzed your your um, you know your debt debt to income situations. We found a loan a particular loan for you, right? Um, so we sometimes even take it a step further. We do a pre-approval, but we also send the file to underwriting without a property and get them a loan commitment. So, which actually in some cases, it's 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 better in a market where it's really competitive because if we can clear some a borrower, all of their personal stuff, cleared credit income assets in advance of them going into contract on a home, then when they go into contract on that home, we only need like three things, an inspection, an appraisal, and title work to be completed. And all of their personal stuff is, done and approved. So, you know, you're not three weeks into the deal um, and the underwriter doesn't like something about the file and they've already spent money on appraisal, they've already spent an inspection money and the deal starts falling apart three weeks, four weeks into the deal. So
2: basically it's already been underwritten before those things happen.
1: Right, before they go into contract. Ideally- Contingent on those, those three things. things. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that gives the borrower an opportunity to kind of shop as if they were a cash buyer, right? outside of the appraisal that would be the only difference um than if you were a cash buyer because cash buyers really only need you know they'll do an inspection and they'll do uh and they'll do title so as long as the the appraisal comes in then then we're good to go you know so it's it's really cool that's really cool yeah
2: are you do a lot of companies do that or just
1: um not many at all that I know of Mm -hmm. Um, we we like to do that in most cases I've been doing it so long I can I know when somebody is is pre-approved you know especially if they're a wage earner or something like that Um, if the files complicated uh, with a lot of tax returns and business returns and things like that sometimes we try to get that in the underwriting just to just that shorten
2: their length of their clothes
1: yes so we can if we go if we get them cleared um and get them a loan commitment and probably them going to contract we can close in a little less two weeks so when you're negotiating that deal
2: that's an up like look we're ready to go we could close in two weeks if you want to
1: right so that's like good- you as an agent and you're negotiating a deal right and there's multiple offers on it and, a, and the seller sees I've got a loan commitment I can close in two weeks and I've got a loan pre-approval and close in 30 to 45 days pre-qualification closing in 60 days, you know, and your prices, and they're all the same price, where's the sell? what's the seller's going to take our deal 100% of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you offer a little bit less, they still may say, you know what, I know this person's good. They're already, they're done. We can close in two weeks. I feel much better about that deal, even if it's five or 10 grand lower, just because they, you know, they, they want to close um, and, and not have any issues with it. So we're able to negotiate better deals in some cases because of that process we have, yeah.
2: Let's transition to the market a little bit. Yeah. It's been crazy. I know you brought some <clears throat> papers here.
1: Yeah, and, so uh, um, I, I prepared, I did a, uh, like a real estate report card for Palm Beach County as of today. Um, you know, our median home price um, is $360,830, about $198 square foot median home price average Um, We're at
2: the end of July 2020, right? So we're sort of. We hope we're (laughs) coming. We're not sure if we're coming out of COVID or not. We're we're still every day in the news, like four million this, right? Yeah, you know. So, but I feel like the housing market has. I didn't expect this out of the house. Like you just don't know what to expect, right? And what are your general thoughts about COVID and how it's affected the housing market in general?
1: So. I think for us here in South Florida, um, I think our housing market is strengthened by this COVID because a lot of people, you know, that were living in condos and in places where they were shut down and, you know, couldn't move or couldn't leave their place for many, many months and cooped up. And um, they just want to get out and come to where, you know, there's water, there's there's beach, you know, there's, um, you know, there's there's more space, you know. So I think our market itself is, is thriving through this. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be more of a norm going on for many, many years. But even even though our market over the last, you know, five years, uh, the appreciation in our market itself has been, you know, about 27% appreciation in your home. So um, that's, that's fantastic. You know, it's averaging almost 6% a year. I mean, you I know? feel like
2: we've seen... In my condo, I've probably seen more than that. And we've owned for two years. We bought it, we, we live here in Chasewood. And okay. we bought at 140. And there's a couple of condos that are similar to ours that are under contract right now. I don't know what it's gonna go for, but right. they listed it at like 199. Okay. So it'll probably be between 190 and 199 when it closes. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's huge, just that, right. and is that, since I don't know it very well, you said, is that kind of a every five years all the time, or is that? Well,
1: so historically over the last 60 years, it's been an average appreciation of 4.51%.
2: Okay. That accounts for the lows and the highs. Right.
1: And um, so, you know, so think about this. So you're a homeowner and you're just thinking about, should I buy today or not buy today? Right? And interest rates are low, all time lows, you know, prices are kind of moving higher. Um, so. If you go back five years from now or just think about it five years from today and the mean home price is 360 well guess what you would you would almost you would gain almost a hundred thousand dollars of equity right so and, and just being just being in your house for mm-hmm. over a five-year period of time that's a lot of money if you think about that you know um that's you know i wouldn't say free money because you're you're owning the home but that is you know gives you ability to grow your wealth you know um so the sooner you get in that home the better off you are and not waiting because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring you know right and this is
2: the past five years obviously that changes depending on the
1: of what's happening about yeah. what's happening yeah. right yeah
2: um from a seller's perspective mm-hmm. what looking at the market mm-hmm. what do you see is it a good time to sell is it obviously if you sell, like, where do you go? Cause the inventory is so low. <laughs> so that,
1: that's the challenge, right? So we're in very, very low inventory environment right now. Um, I've got a couple hundred pre-approved buyers looking for homes that we're talking to and working with and trying to find them something, you know, it's like looking for a needle in a haystack in some cases. So as a seller, depending on what your motivation is, um, it's a fantastic market for you because there's so many people looking, so if you've got a good home, you know, what I would suggest a seller to do in this market is, um, let's say they've owned a home for, you know, a long period of time. Let's give it a five year window, right? Most homes after five years need to do some upgrades to them, right? Some people like, you know, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to sell. So you have two possibilities there. you could say, okay, I'll, I'll just sell today. Let somebody else deal with it. Right. And take a lower price or, you maybe put twenty thousand dollars into the house and maybe get fifty thousand dollars more. So now you've you've made an extra thirty grand.
2: Yeah, because just you know? because it's a seller's market, <laughs> I feel like people still aren't settling for less.
1: Right. They're
2: still, right. they still want a fair price. They're not going to overpay for something.
1: That's that's the truth. In in most cases, people, you know, well, they're looking for a deal, but a lot of times right now, first time home buyers, you know, they don't want to buy. They don't want to buy that house that needs. $20,000 of improvements, right? Cuz they don't have the money to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would rather pay a little bit more because you're financing it, right? So that same house that's let's, let's just say a $100,000 house um, that the person lived in for 5 years and are leaving and needs and needs $20,000 of upgrade. Well, this, the buy the first time home buyer would rather pay 150 for that turnkey than 100 and try to find $20,000 to make it work, right? So it's right. a win-win for everybody.
2: Yeah, because I'm thinking of one of my buyers right now, and he's he has I wouldn't say a wide range of a budget, but he's got you know whatever he's approved for. He's I think he's willing to go up to that top number. Yeah. And but he wants he wants to walk in, you know. He's got two or three kids. He doesn't want to be in a renovated, you know. He doesn't want to be in renovations for right. the next year. <laughs> right. We bought our condo and we literally lived in renovations for six to nine months right. because. Like, we were on cement floors for like two right. months because of, you know, for whatever reason. Right. And it's, we'll never do it again. Right. You know? So, we don't we, mind minor upgrades. Right. But if we're having to tear out floors and do a big, giant paint job. Sure. Like, we're not. <laughs> like, right now, when things are so crazy, like, we just need to move in. It's
0: stressful enough. And
1: it's hard in. right now to find people to do work. You know, everyone is so busy because everyone is sitting in their homes for three months looking around going, We need to fix this, we need to fix that. So right not now, doing it. Well some people are. I mean Well at first, like when COVID right. hit, all the clubhouses sh- shut down. Right.
2: Everything shut down. You couldn't get in. And, right. And now all these you know, all the general contractors, they probably don't have time to do anything. Anything.
1: I mean if you're lucky to find somebody to do work on your house, a lot of people are trying to do it themselves. So um, you know, and, and they're they're making choices of, you know, do I stay, fix it up, or do I just move and go to somebody else's house that's fixing up. Where do you move? <laughs> right. Where do you move? Right. <laughs> you know? So it's it's tough. There's gotta be some motivation there. Um, to, um, to of where you're gonna go, you know. Um, and that's always the biggest thing is, you know, what what's your what's your next move? If you get out of where you're at, you gotta take consideration the taxes, the you know, uh, all the stuff that it that it takes to move, but you know, so that's really the that comes up a lot. You know, um, so that's why the first time homebuyer market right now, there's so many people looking because there's so many people not knowing where they're gonna go next as a move up buyer. Um, and you know, obviously if you have kids and, um, and stuff, there's a, the motivation there is a you need house, more room, right? So that's usually the most cases, the motivation for a, a, a young family. And then other cases are older people looking to downsize that their family's gone. So those are the two big movements in the marketplace for move up and move down buyers. And that first time home buyer, th- those are the opportunities they're getting. you know.
2: Obviously there's been a big push. Single family homes are probably the hardest to find right now. There's been a, a big push that way. But what do you see in the condo and town home market? Is, there, is that still going? Is so
1: it- there's, a, there's a drastic difference between a town home and a condo. Okay, people Explain don't really that understand that. Right? I know there is, I just don't know what right. they all are. So, and, and, and sometimes it's not the information online um, from listing agents and the way they list these homes, it's not always clear. I always direct people and we always look to the county records of how that home is categorized, if it's categorized as a townhome or a condo. A townhome is treated as if it was a single family home and it's governed by an HOA, a homeowners Association. Mm-hmm. So those are similar in itself. A condo is a completely different animal um, because a condo is governed by a condo association and they follow completely different guidelines. So a condominium for a first time home buyer requires a full project approval, um, which means that they have to abide by, we have to get two years worth of budgets, so, they have to show a minimum of 10% reserves of their budget um, that they hold in reserves to qualify. That's one thing. They can't have any litigation. Well, if they do have litigation, some are allowed, but most aren't, um, depending on what that litigation is. I had
2: just a butt in there. That's one reason it got—it was hard for me to get approved in the one I was in because there was litigation. There was a lawsuit against someone who got hurt at the pool right. or whatever. And I literally talked to, I think three lenders Uh and the third lender I talked to says, Oh, I just got someone approved in there. So they'd already gone through through the approval process and they were able to like close real quick.
1: Right. So that's, that's, that's one thing that comes up a lot right now with this pandemic, we're going through the other challenge is people that aren't paying their condo association dues. So another characteristic of the approval process is you've got to show that there's no more than 15% of the whole community no more than 60 days past due on their dues, okay? Um, And no more than one entity can't own more than 10% of the project. Now, there's some different guidelines depending on how big the project is. Some smaller ones, I think it's like 15 units or less, have different qualifications, but the normal size, bigger ones, those are the guidelines. And what happens is, and there's two sets of approvals, so you have what they call a full project approval, which I just went through, and you have a limited approval process So the full project approval allows you to go in there and do a conventional loan at 3%. Now to do an FHA loan in there requires a whole different approval process. So there's an approval process for conventionals for Fannie and Freddie and a whole different one for FHA, VA. There's a different one for VA as well. So there's two different (laughs) approval processes for the government loans that are done separately, independently of each other, and then the conventional approval process. And... And if the, for whatever reason it doesn't qualify for that approval process, uh, the, the full project approval, then what they do is they go down to a limited review, which only asks limited questions. Um, and But the, the, the down payment requirements go from a 3% minimum to a 25% down payment requirement for primary residences and a 30% down payment requirement for a second home residence. So it's a significant difference. Um, and there's so many condos in South Florida. I spent most of the 2000s, um, I worked for a company at the time where we converted most of downtown West Palm Beach. I'm familiar with all the big projects down there because I converted a lot of them from apartments to condos. It was a big move in the early 2000s. Um, and I did you know thousands and thousands of units. There were times where there were days where we we would you know they would start selling these units on a Friday, and by Sunday they were completely sold out of 300 units, and the price would change every hour. So you were in line standing around the block, and by the time you get up there, it may have gone up 50 grand, and that's how they were doing it back then. And then we would we would do closings. We had a, cl- closings. We would close at a Marriott hotel in, in and in a ballroom, and there would be, you know rows, 50 rows of closing tables and people just signing closing documents. We would close hundreds at a time. Um, it was insane. It was, it was truly crazy. Um, but we converted a lot of the condos back then that way. Um, and it was an interesting time. So I really understand the condo market a lot and I try to educate listing agents when they get a condo listing to gather all the documentation, the budgets, understand your product, because the biggest challenge for us as, as lenders and for buying agents is your client gets in there and they want to go 5% down. Listing agent has no idea what the, if the project is approvable or not. And they're not on the approved list. So you have to go through the approval process. So we have to get all that stuff I just talked about. You have to analyze it, get it submitted. And you've really got to get that done within the 15 day inspection period. And that sometimes isn't enough time. And if you don't time.
2: have all your stuff lined up.
1: Then it doesn't qualify. Then, you know, you still have the, the loan after the inspection period still have the you know the the loan part of it that they can still kind of be turned down for 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 the project but ideally if you're a really good listing agent understand your product on a condo you would get all that information up front so when that buyer goes into contract or before because it's a waste of time for everybody right before that buyer goes into that deal you have the documentation to say listen this project is approvable for the three percent or five percent down so we can go. But if, and if you go into the project and, and the agent goes, listen, I know this project can't be approved for whatever reason it doesn't qualify, that buyer no, ha, will be told you have to put down 25 or 30% if you're financing it. So that may just eliminate you know, some of those buyers in the marketplace, but also saves everyone a lot of time because it does take time to evaluate all that information. So I always try to educate the listing agents on gathering that information and the problem is a lot of the associations you know have farm out their their stuff to these other entities mm-hmm. and there's a lot of turnover and a lot of people don't keep up with it so there's a lot of expired condominiums on the books I mean I went back to a lot of the places that I converted over the years and there's been so much turnover but I've reapproved a, a bunch of condos downtown West Palm Beach recently um, with some of the ones that have expired, because we have some buyers in there, so we were able to go in and um, and and reapprove them and, and work with the associations to do that. So it's different, definitely a totally different animal. And in most cases, a lot of the banks and and, and online lenders have no idea what what they're doing in regard to that. I had a client um, call me up yesterday, matter of fact, and he was putting a. And offering an eight hundred thousand dollar condominium, and and I was trying to explain to him all of this, and he said, "I don't know what you're talking about. I've talked to you know five other different lenders. They never mentioned this once that I have to go through this process, and, and that there's a possibility I may have to put thirty percent down because he's buying as a second home. If it doesn't get qualified, I go well then that should be a red flag to you that you know you're you're talking with people that don't understand the product that you're buying. You know so." Mm-hmm. We, you know, it seems like a lot, but if you don't do all do do what you have to do up front, there's going to be problems in the end. You know. So, so your
2: message to like someone like me, a new agent, if someone's ever interested in a condo, just get all the information up front before <laughs> up front. we even.
1: You need to get it up front. Um, and the problem is, in some cases or in most cases, which you know, there's some class action lawsuits about this. So that's a whole different story. But the condo associations charge. To get 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 that information. For a condo questionnaire to be filled out, sometimes they charge three to five hundred bucks. So you as a buyer, you're spending an inspection, five hundred bucks, a condo questionnaire, three hundred to five hundred bucks, an appraisal, five hundred bucks. So you're fifteen hundred bucks into the deal you're before be you even it. know if it's approvable, right? So that's it's 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 not a it happens so frequently, it's 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 um I get so frustrated with it because the seller can get, gather all that information up front and the listing agent should really have that readily mm. available so they know what kind of product they're selling because it'll save so much money and time for that buyer and the seller and everybody. It just, um, if they did all their, you know, all the work and they put it all together up front, you know? So. Well,
2: to wrap things up, tell me what you're thinking about in the next three to six months, where the market's going, <clears throat> what do you see?
1: So. I see we, we are in a, our environment will continue where it's at. Um, I think, you know, there's, the problem we have is, is low inventory. So that's going to keep our market strong. Um, interest rates will stay low through the end of this year and even going into next year. So um, I, I think we're in a, a unique place in the situation where we are that we're going to see, um, we're going to be in, in, a, in a market that, is, is gonna be on fire. You know, um, there's gonna be um, so much um, opportunity uh, for, for potential buyers to get in as long as we can provide the inventory for them. Um, so I think we're gonna be in a strong market. And I don't think there's any anything out there that's proving or, or, or signaling that we're not. And even going into next year, I think it will be the same. I think the only challenge that we're gonna see going into next year is, Accounting for the 5 million people that are currently in forbearance and if they 5 have million? Yeah, Is that nationwide. Yeah It's a lot. It's a lot of people So if those people can't catch up on their payments <clears throat> Can't modify their loan You know, they're there's they're gonna be they're gonna start foreclosures proceedings I think it's some, you know, maybe after the first quarter of next year on those people um, So like April May. Yeah, and then there's gonna be a log of you know, of how those filings in the county and things like that. So I don't know how that's gonna play, but it's gonna play in some way, shape or fashion. It just has to, because most of the people that were in a forbearance situation and really put themselves in it for, for need, basis they didn't have the money. And they probably and they, still don't have they the probably money. Still don't, and they probably don't have a job to go back to. A lot of people in the service industry, right? It's, um, you know, a lot of those places will not look the same. As they did in the past, and the amount of money people were making in that industry may not ever be the same. You know, um, you got and,
2: half as many tables, half as many tips, right? Half
1: as many, half as many people working. So you know, if you run a restaurant and you had ten servers and and stuff, now maybe you only need three. You know, where are those other seven people going to go? And if every restaurant's like that, you know, there it's so there's going to be um, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of that going on as well, you know? So, and it's it's a challenging environment for the self-employed service-related person right now, depending on what your business is. So that that's the only challenge I see is, is that type of a business that you're in, if you've thrived through this or have you been affected by it, you know? So if you've been affected by it, your world is totally, looks totally different than, um, than somebody that has, has kind of thrived Drive through it, you know. So, so you see
2: in, in terms of the housing market, you see a little bit of the same for the next six months or so.
1: I do. I do. Um, and I think it'll be it'll be driven a lot by the people that want to be come here because think about this, too. So when they change all the tax laws, you know, and in, in states that have state taxes, those people were looking to get out of there anyway some like a California or New York and stuff where there's heavy. This is just pushing them. So there was, you know, this catapulted their decision, you know? So if you're making greater than $250,000 a year, you're getting clipped pretty heavily on state taxes in the state tax states. Um, And, you know, you almost get a pay raise. And since most of the people are working from home anyway right now, so guess what? Might as well do it. Might as well do it. Right. Might as well get go into a state where there's no state tax, you know, buy a house, um and have some space and work out of your home, you know, so
2: on the water. And, you know, and or whatever and get a
1: pay raise, doing the same you know, doing yeah. it. So if you're in a in a job that that allows that and, and you've thrived through this, then, you know, why not why not be somewhere tropical, you know? Absolutely. Um and out of the city and out of the out of a condo that you've been stuck in, you know, that's that must drive people crazy. I can not even imagine. But um can't tell you how yeah. the
2: two year old like even yeah. down here in a condo is not yeah. You know, not always fun. Um, last question. How do you think, I haven't been around enough elections and, in this, and old enough to understand how that affects things, but how do you see the political landscape sort of affect or does it? So,
1: if I see if the current administration stays in the place, I think we'll continue in this pattern of where we are. Um, but and, still
2: seeing a correction.
1: You know, I, I don't Next know. Part. I I mean, if you're talking specifically about the housing market itself, mm-hmm. I I think we're we we stay strong mm-hmm. for many years. Um, if if the administration changes, um, I think there's going to be a major impacts on certain things. I don't know how. Think of us. We're kind of in a bubble in a sense in South Florida. Um, I I don't know if we'll be affected by the political changes. Um, as as much as some other places may be, mm-hmm. um, but um, you know, so I, I I don't I don't see us being af- being affected from the housing standpoint. I think that our our challenge here in South Florida may be just the, the jobs and the uh, you know uh, the, the service, service industry jobs. jobs. Yeah.
2: And that's going to be an issue no matter
1: right. who's who's <clears throat> in office. Who's in office, right? So. Right.
2: Well, maybe the current administration will. Down here and hire a bunch of people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Maybe you will lose and they'll open up a new restaurant yeah. or something. Yeah, man. So
1: that's
2: great. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for coming in. Oh no
1: problem, man. That chat with fine. me, I
2: have I've learned so much, and I appreciate
1: and it. I appreciate your time and uh, and the opportunity to be on the show and um, and chat about it. So I look forward to the next time.
0: Thank you for joining me this week on Be My Mentor, a real estate podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to leave me a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you have any questions for me about real estate, send me a message over on Instagram or Facebook at Brandon.myrealtor. Thanks so much. Until next time.